Welcome to What's Killing My Kale. This is episode 9 of season 3. It is early May in 2020 um, and we are just starting to get into the fields. This is Natalie Hoidel, Extension Educator for Vegetable Production and Local Foods in Minnesota. And I co-host this podcast with Annie Claude, Extension Educator for Fruit Production. This is a production of the University of Minnesota Extension. So in this episode, even though it's been a drier spring than the last couple of years, we are going to talk with Paolo Pagliari, who is a soil scientist at the University of Minnesota, um, who works both with vegetables and field crops. And we're going to talk about how to deal with wet soils. So we can still anticipate that we are likely to have some heavy rains still to come this season, um, potentially some flooding. And so that's the main point of this episode is to talk about preparing for that. Um, but in addition to talking about heavy rainfall, Paula shared some really um, good insight for just normal growing conditions as well. So with that, here is the episode. Hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Paolo Pegliari. I am a nutrient management specialist uh, housed at the Department of Soil, Water and Climate. And I, am, have, my, I have my office at the Southwest Research and Outreach Center down in Lamberton in the southwest corner of the state. Um, my appointment is research and extension, uh, so I do a lot of extension work. Um, I host a few extension events down at the Southwest Research and Outreach Center every year. Um, and, and now with this uh, new challenge that we have with the COVID-19, we're doing a lot of online webinars and switching a lot of our uh, in-person platform to online platform so that we can still provide content to, to the audience that needs it. And you, I know you do work with high tunnels. Um, what are the, I guess, like all of the main crops that you work with? Yeah, so my, my, uh, my appointment is very, very uh, unusual as I work with uh, grain crops like corn, soybean, wheat, and I also work with um, vegetables in, in the high town, fruits and vegetables. We have over the years worked with a high variety of things. We've worked with tomato. Tomato is a big one. It seems like every year we have a trial with tomato. But we also worked with peppers, um, cucumbers, table beets, um, broccolis, cauliflower, uh, spinaches, um, what else? Watermelon, zucchini, strawberry. So we've done a lot of work with, with produce uh, in the high tunnels. Not only high tunnels, but also out in, in the field, outside of the tunnels as well. Uh, but we do see that in our Minnesota climate, it's a lot easier to grow those uh, crops in the tunnel than outside. Uh, like last year, our tomato did terrible outside, but in the tunnel, they were marvelous. It was amazing how much difference there was uh, in the tunnel and outside of the tunnel. Yeah. So for today, I actually wanted to talk to you mostly about outdoor production. Um, or non-high tunnel production. Um, and specifically, just we've had all this flooding in the last couple of years. And thankfully this year, we're, I think, starting out in a better place in terms of we haven't had all the blizzards and just kind of the amount of, um, we're not starting out with as much water in the landscape. But every year, it's 
we're seeing our climate is getting wetter. And so I wanted to just ask you some questions about flooding and what that has to do with nutrient management. Um, so I guess just kind of like the 10,000 foot view, what are some of the basic things that growers should know about how flooding influences um, nutrient leaching as well as nutrient availability? Yeah, so first let's talk a little bit about flooding and weather patterns. Um, we definitely have seen since 2000, um, 2017, 18 and 19 were very wet spring years. Um, and when we look at the amount of precipitation that we have had, I think uh, from, from the last four years, uh, it's been about 10 inches um, or so more water in the spring than we see over the, the long-term history. Um, so the amount of precipitation and water in the spring is definitely much higher than it used to be back even 10 years ago. So there is a lot more water uh, in the spring and also in the fall uh, and they kind of play together, but just precipitation and snowfall from January to the end of April, it's quite a bit more than it used to be. Now what that does, it changes a lot of the nutrient dynamic in the soil. Um, <clears throat> depending on how you fertilized your plots in the fall, that's definitely going to play a role on how much nutrient you have available for that spring. And also depending on the source of fertilizer that you're using, it's also going to play um, a role on how the nutrient is available. Uh, just, uh, we're probably going to get farther into more deeper questions, but just as a general rule, uh, some forms of nutrients like nitrogen in the nitrate form are much more soluble than ammonium. Ammonium tended to be tied up in the soil. So as the water of that flooding water is going through the soil and moving through the soil, it's not going to leach the ammonium, but a lot of the nitrate has high potential to leach with that water moving down the soil profile. For other nutrients like potassium, uh, phosphorus, calcium, those nutrients are a little bit held tighter in the soil. They don't move as much with the leaching water. So we don't really have a lot of issues with them. The main issue comes uh, with placement and also with erosion. For example, if we are placing our nutrients in, on top of a frozen soil, when that soil, that snow comes in, that soil is still frozen and then that snow thaw, if the water cannot go into the soil, it's going to dissolve the fertilizer or the manure or whatever the nutrient source is, and it's going to carry the nutrients with the water as runoff. So you're going to have high amounts of water running off the field because the soil is frozen, carrying with it all the nutrients that you applied in the fall. Uh, so yeah, it's very important to know how nutrient and water behave so that you can do better management when you're planting or uh, applying your fertilizers. Mm -hmm. So I think for a lot of the growers that we work with, <laughs> manure is a fairly common um, source of fertilizer, but that's definitely not everybody. Um, do you, are you finding yourself like recommending different types of fertilizers? Than maybe you did 10 years ago as a result of like more water in the landscape um, and like in general what sort of fertilizers are you tending to recommend 
You know, we are not really shifting towards different fertilizer technologies. Uh, there are some technologies out there, for example, slow-release fertilizer, uh, chemical fertilizers. Those tend to be better because they're not going to be released very quickly. The, depending on the technology, it also has to be a, a warmer temperature before the uh, release technology opens up and you see the fertilizer coming out of the granule. Um, so that's a possibility, but then that also has some costs uh, applied to it. For, for grain crops, it's a little more expensive, but for, um, for high-value crops, like produce crops, then it would be more, uh, more of an option if you're seeing too much, uh, too much flooding, too much water, and not enough fertility remaining in the field, then going to a slow-release type of fertilizer would be an option. Um, now the manure, the manure is tricky, right? Because depending on the manure you're using, it's going to have a high amount of organic nitrogen, for example, and that's a slow release, uh, somewhat. But depending on the manure source, it's going to have a lot of the nitrogen in the inorganic form, which is available right away. So the manure has two forms: has inorganic nutrients and also organic nutrients mostly for sulfur, phosphorus, and uh, nitrogen. The inorganic portion is available right away. As soon as the water hits the manure, and then that's going to dissolve and going to react with the soil and be available. Now the organic portion that also, that first has to be broken down into inorganic components, then that's gonna be what the plant's gonna take up. Um, so it's, it's very important to know if you're getting too much water, if the farmer has conditions where there's a lot of flooding, then I think that changing when the fertilizer is uh, being applied might be the best option to, to try to help mitigate some of the flooding issues, so especially for nitrogen. Like, like a split application? Yeah, a split application would work, you know, if you can put some, uh, some before, if you have a chance like in the spring when things are not too wet yet and you can get in, like this year was ideal. It was pretty dry early on and there were some snowfalls that came and some heavy rain that came in certain places. So if you could get in before those showers came in, then that would be ideal to put maybe half of your fertilizer down, expecting that there will be some heavy rains that are gonna come in early on and you don't wanna lose anything or don't lose too much. So put half down and then come back later in early May or so, then you put the other half uh, if that's available to you. And also depends, you're not gonna be planting, if you're growing produce, you're not gonna be planting, transplanting anything until late in May anyways. So if you have the opportunity to, to do that, then I would say it's, it will help you. Um, keep some of that fertility in a soil where you, you're going to need. Okay. So you've mentioned a couple of times the idea of too much water. Mm -hmm. um, what does too much water mean? Is there a threshold for when, like when you hit like too much water and you need to start worrying about nitrogen leaching, whether that's yes. total or in one day kind of? Maybe. So, it also, it's going to change by soil, right? Soils are different. And then there are soils that are well-drained, so it can rain quite a bit in a day that you're going to not see any issues. And there are soils that don't move water as, as fast. So it rains a half an inch, and you already start seeing water being logged, and, and there's a lot of issues. 
but a farmer knows his soils. He knows how much water will be before there's a pool in a field and how long that pool is going to last. So what happens is nitrogen is the main nutrient, again, that we're going to be impacted by, um, by that type of scenario where you have a pool in a field uh, because a lot of the nitrogen is going to denitrify and it's going to be lost as gas to the atmosphere. Uh, so in those conditions, um, the farmer will know their soil better and they will know if this is going to happen, then yes, for sure, you do not want to be putting any fertilizer down right before it happens. It's best to wait until those conditions have passed uh, and then you put a fertilizer down. It might coincide with right before you're transplanting or planting, um, but it's better to wait than to go too early. And also the water might not be there, but the soil might still be saturated. So if, you, if the farmer cannot be out there with a safe tractor and being sure that he's not going to get stuck, then there's no reason to try to be out there to put fertilizer down because it's, it could be, uh, he could end up losing the fertilizer anyway. So he's going to put it down and it's going to be lost. So he might as well wait until the conditions are right, put it down and, and be sure that it will stay there and be available for that crop. Yeah. So say it's like late June and you've done most of your fertilizer application or all of your fertilizer application. Um, and then there's like tons of rain, you've got standing water in your fields. At that point, um, do you ever recommend doing like foliar um, or like sap testing after a flood to just kind of recalibrate a little bit? Or do you have kind of a standard amount that you put on as extra? Yeah, so that's that's a good question, and it depends on the technology that the farmer has at hand. Uh, if he can go in and, and supplement, because in those conditions now you're talking about supplementing fertility, right? Because you yeah. can't really put everything down again. It's too expensive, uh, and the crop may not have time to use it anyways. So you're supplementing. So doing a tissue sample would be advisable if he can know if he has the equipment to go out there and put down the fertilizer that is needed depending on how tall that crop is he might still be able to do a side dress application uh, in other cases people have some of those um, high boy fertilizer applicators that they can use to to put some more fertilizer down so yes, it would be recommendable to do a, a tissue sampling and to see where you are so you know how much you lost and how much more you need to add. Um, and that would be the best uh, work that we can do, just taking a tissue sample and looking at where you are and how much you might, uh, might be limiting. And again, depending on how much water came through, you might lost more than you can put down. And then the deal here is not to recover 100%, but it's minimizing your losses. Uh, in some cases, you might not need to put anything down because it might cost you more to do it than what you're gonna get back. Um, but again, it's best if the farmer knows his field and knows how the water is gonna move through, uh, then he will be better um, able to decide whether or not he wants to invest on uh, a rescue application, I would say. Yeah. So do you know offhand um, with vegetable crops or fruit crops, are there specific crops that people should be like extra cautious about? I know, for example, peppers, like, and, and cucurbits, like if you um, fertilize 
too late, as they're kind of already starting to vine out, they're going to be more likely to put that nitrogen into vegetative growth instead of producing fruit. Like, do you know of any examples like that of crops people should be extra thoughtful extra about? Um, I say, um, you know, the high value crops, those where you put a lot of the, the money towards, it's going to be your tomatoes, um, maybe potatoes, um, peppers could be too. Um, those crops, you know, it's hard. Like you said, if you miss the opportunity, then the plant is going to take that extra fertility and going to put into biomass and not really into the fruit and you're really not gonna make much from it um so i would say you know in those cases in, in those high value crops you're not gonna transplant those in conditions that are not favorable and i would say that if you're doing your manure application when the conditions are right and you transplant when things are right that's 90% of your work is done right there. Now, for organic, that's all you can do. I don't think you can get a, a organic form of nitrogen that you could supplement later on. But people that have conventional tomato crops or tomato, uh, conventional gardens, they could potentially go with urea, uh, and, but not much. I would say, you know, maybe no more than 10% of your total need would have to be supplemented in case that you lost. Because... If you put too much, then it, it's not going to work for what you want. And, and you just want to make sure that the plant has, has some in there. Um, and you're not going to lose too much if you did everything right from the get-go, I don't think. Unless there's enough water in there to kill all the plants too. And then you're really going to lose a lot of your nitrogen, but the plants are all gone as well. So right. everything went uh, to bad places in that year. So just do the best you can and, and if you if you're following best management practices then you're doing the best you can mm -hmm. really okay actually i think there are a couple of organic products um that you can fertigate in later in the season so like put through the drip line as supplemental there, yeah, I'm not too familiar with a lot of those because we we don't like a lot of the work we do. Uh, we haven't run into the situation where we have water logged on a field and okay. things are too wet, so we never really had to go towards any um, rescue type of situation. So I'm not too familiar with a lot of this uh, fertigation technology that is available. Okay, um, but yeah. So in terms of um, foliar testing or doing sap analysis, do you have any tips for that? Like things that people should be thinking about, whether that's like even time of day kind of stuff or does it not matter? Yes, you know, so tissue sampling, um, that one I know. Um, now sap sampling, I don't know. I'm not familiar with that. I know it's done, but I don't know. I cannot direct people to how to collect or where to send the sap for analysis. But the tissue, there are some extension publications, depending on the crop that you're growing, that tells you which part of the plant you want to sample, at what time of the year, and then you can send those tissue samples to the analytical lab at the University of Minnesota in the sample campus or any other 
uh, private lab that does tissue analysis, they would be able to tell you uh, the fertility or the nutrition in that plant and the fertility needed to uh, boost production. But yes, it's very critical that you sample the right part of the plant at the right time. And in each plant, it will be different. So there, look for some of our uh, extension publications based on the crop that you have. And if you cannot find the, the information that you need, then you can email or call me, try to get a hold of me, and I'll, I'll try to find that information for you. Um, and it can uh, help you get that testing done and, and interpret those results as well if you need it. Okay, great. Um, do you have any other things you wanted to share about flooding or nutrient issues? Um, I, I guess the only thing that I, I just briefly mentioned that is something that I've been really emphasizing a lot in the talks that I give where it's focused on nutrient application and trying to maximize the, the fertility of those fertilizers is to be careful with fall application, especially if you're using manure. If you're gonna go out there and just throw manure out because you think it's, it's the right time to be out there, just be sure that if you cannot incorporate that manure, then it's not the right time to be applying. If you're just gonna apply and leave it on the surface, that's not gonna be good, especially if that soil is frozen then what's going to happen is I guarantee you that 40-50% of your nitrogen and your phosphorus can be gone before you even till the manure in, in the spring. Um, so just be, be smart about when to apply, save it, put it down in the spring if you can. If you have to apply in the fall, apply when you still can till the manure in. Uh, if you cannot till, cannot cover the manure with the soil, it's going to be a disaster not only for your field but also wherever that water goes it's going to carry a lot of fertility with it if it goes into a water stream it's going to cause eutrophication it, it's going to be ugly for everybody else yeah so just be smart with your manure application uh, dry fertilizer also the same thing the same concern if you cannot mix that dry fertilizer with the soil it's frozen then don't apply because those salts are soluble they're highly soluble and it's going to move the field as it starts raining and snow starts melting if that water cannot penetrate the soil. So save it for the spring. So as a follow-up question then, um, a lot of the folks that we work with are using reduced tillage systems. Um, mm -hmm. If that's the case, if you're not using any sort of tillage to work in manure or fertilizer, would you just say wait until spring in all cases? to apply? Yes, yes, do it in spring, especially if you're not minimum tillage, you have to do spring, otherwise that, that fertilizer, the manure, is, you're going to lose most of it. Mm -hmm. All right, yeah. that's good to know. <laughs> oh, great, great. Thank you, and if there's any further questions, then uh, folks can get a hold of me and, and uh, email or call, probably email now because I'm not in the office right now uh, because we are uh, working from home as the, the mandate for the state has been, we are, that's what we are following. So email is the best option right now to get a hold of me. Okay, great, thank you so much. All right, you're very welcome. So if you just listened to this and have some follow-up questions for Paolo, his email is pagli 
at umn.edu. You can also find his information online. So thanks for listening. Please leave us a review um, if you liked our podcast or if you didn't. And as always, feel free to send suggestions for future topics. We'll be putting out podcasts every week or two throughout the growing season.